0: It's been a good setup this morning just in terms of the flow of the service to um, what I believe is, is right to share, what, what God's been laying on my heart, which is that the, the challenge that we have um, as God's people is living in the now but not yet kingdom. You know, the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not the fully dominant theme of our age just yet. Um, and so how do we live in that as God's people and that's that's a a challenge that we have but that is something that God has called us to and that's a hope that we live in and want to sort of look at a few verses and things like that as we go and tell a few stories from Jamaica as mentioned so I start out with sort of there's three sort of things over the years three um, I'll give you little bits of stories when I very first started working in Jamaica so I've um, Jamaica's had a interesting history there are no indigenous Jamaicans still alive the British um, the Spanish initially took over and they sort of wanted to enslave the original people and so they bought you know slavery war and disease and they managed to wipe out all the original Jamaicans Um, and so then they imported um, Africans to work as slaves instead and then the British took over under Cromwell um, in 1643 and um, and then they started, they took slavery to a whole new level, so for sort of 200 years under the British, there were, were millions of Africans who were shipped off as human property um, to Jamaica, so Jamaica's had a, a rough, a really rough and sad sort of history, and then when we sort of got political independence, there was, you know, some jostling for power, if you like, um, and so this particularly through the 70s, um, political violence started getting really bad. Um, and so there were sort of communities that would vote for one party or another party, and they would be, they would get the right political connections and that sort of thing. Anyway, when I first got to Jamaica in 90, uh, well, I first went in 94. But uh, when I started working in the inner city, which is in 99, I went and I was, I was wanting to do some sports as a way of reaching out to young people and interacting with them. And there was this sort of bit of, of land called no man's land between one political affiliation and the other. And I went to go and look at it because it looked like a great open piece of land that you could develop as a sports facility. So I was sort of wandering out and this little seven-year-old boy came and grabbed me by, by my hand. And he sort of grabbed the edge of my finger and sort of was put, tugged it and said, sir, sir, don't go out there. They'll have an open shot. And just that was his lived reality at seven years old that you can't go to no man's land because that's the borderline and they're, they're shooting across that area. And I remember, you know, thinking, wow, that's like completely not my expectation from a piece of land, you know. So that, there was that. And then, um, look, a few years later, uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll resolve these stories in a minute, but um, I wanted to sort of frame them initially. So there's that's one. Another one was one night we were doing a training course and um, and I went to drop home this sort of training people in discipleship and things like that. And I went, uh, w- dropped one of the guys home. And as I was leaving the community, this guy flagged me down. There's a dark alley in the middle of a place called Majesty Gardens, which will make sense to Graham and Katrina and not many other people. Um, but it's a rough sort of shanty community. This guy flagged me down and he had a big gun in his hand and um, stopped. And he sort of then started chatting and, you know, saying he wanted some money. And I, I really didn't have much. And then he started getting increasingly sort of irate. And in the end, he sort of said, hey, we run the streets here. You know that? We run the streets. You need to give us some money. And I kind of looked at him. I was like, well, actually, no. God runs his whole world. And he's in charge everywhere. And he looks at me right in the eye and he says, can God save your life? And I remember kind of looking him back and this moment where you just felt the Holy Spirit right there with you and in you. And I felt like, I can't love this guy and say, oh, maybe not. Like, so, so I remember just looking him straight in the eye and just really feeling the presence of God in that moment and looking him in the eye and just saying, yeah, God can save my life. And seeing this kind of like the darkness recede and this almost this fear him as so he was quite shaken and as I did a, a car comes around the corner and starts driving into the community and he got a bit you know that at the end of the sto- that story he got a bit confused by this other car being there and me being there and I was just able to drive away safely and and came home and but yeah it gave Lizzie a fair bit to pray about that night but but that and then and, and then one other s- story so uh, about a year after that um, Liz and I were there and we're part of this organization called Fusion it was founded in Australia and um, we're there in Jamaica as sort of the extension of fusion in Jamaica. And there was a, a shift in leadership and there was a change in law to do with anti-terror stuff and to do with tax stuff. And suddenly it became really hard to get money, any tax deductible money given in Australia it could not be given overseas any longer. And, and also our, our major supporter was a retired missionary and she was, had cancer and she passed away. And so there was a season suddenly where all of the support networks just dried up. And you're there sort of in Jamaica, which is economy is not the best in the world, trying to run a charity when all your support networks have just disappeared. And um, and there were a, a couple of years there where it was really, really month by month, just, you know, I mean, it, it's always been month by month, but it was really, really, really. I mean, we did a budget in the middle of that and we realized that we had um, 15% of our expenses guaranteed in our income. And so 85% gap to trust God for, which is kind of hard work. I, know, I mean, you're probably people of great faith, but um, I've, I found that really stressful myself. <laughs> um, th- so the question in all of those stories is, like, what's going on? Like how, you know, if God's kingdom is really here and in charge, what's going on when things like that happen? And how do you live, how do you trust and hope and have faith as you live that out? So... Let's get a look at a couple of scriptures, and then I'll I'll filter back to those stories in a minute. But um, if we start with Matthew 4, I've got some of them up here, not all of them. So if you have your Bibles um, nearby, you can turn them on. (laughs) (laughs) So from Matthew 4, this is the sort of famous interaction between Jesus and the devil in the wilderness. And um, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and said, all this I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And obviously, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, implicit in that is the devil saying, I can do whatever I want with this because it's mine. Luke's version of the same passage makes what's implicit a little bit more explicit. In an instant, all the kings of the world, and he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. Okay, this thing its actually been handed over to me. Now, In the garden, God created people in his image to be his image bearers in the world, to worship him and to represent his authority into the world. That was their job. And instead of doing that, they said, you know what? That top spot, the decision-making spot, that's the spot we want. So we're going to worship our own desires instead of you. And... Then we're going to represent ourselves back into the world. And you know, when, when you're listening, like when there's like sound playing or something like that, and then the feedback kind of gets into the system and it's this horrible. That's kind of what happened. The distortion of what we were created for. When we started worshipping ourselves instead of God, this, it just creates a massive crack at the foundation of what humanity is supposed to look like and be. And that was what happened. And we basically handed over the authority that was God given. To the devil. We handed it over to the forces of darkness that control, rather than giving us freedom and hope and all the things that God designed us for, we handed it over to the wrong things and we become trapped and ensnared and humanity becomes no longer what it was designed and intended to be. Now, so there he is saying, Look, it's been given over to me, and (laughs) Jesus obviously has got his priorities straight no worship God and him only. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, there's an interesting statement. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, from the beginning of the Gospels to the end, something has shifted, right? What shifted? Right, the authority. The hands in whom authority is kept have changed. Isn't that good news? Therefore, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to acquire it there. That something has shifted. There's been a, a shift in the balance of power. The early Christians took a lot of the modeling of how they proclaimed the good news from a, a similar model that they'd seen in the, I guess, the, the political movers and shakers of their day. Um, 30 years before Jesus, there was a civil war in Rome for his birth, you had um, Julius Caesar had gone, he'd been sent by, it was, Rome was a republic, and he'd been sent by the Senate off to Gaul, and the marker of the Gaul was the Rubicon River, and uh, you could not come back unless the Senate told you to. And he was fed up with all the corruption there, so he just said, you know what, I'm going to cross that Rubicon, hence the phrase, and come back, and I'm going to march on Rome. And he did, he you know, got rid of them, he declared that Rome was now an empire, But then he got killed, stabbed and executed. And so then who's going to take over now? Okay, we've changed from being a republic to an empire. Our emperor, first emperor, just got killed. Now what happens? And the two sort of potential people were Mark Antony and this guy Octavian, who was Caesar's adopted son and chosen heir. And so there was this sort of build up of tension around the place. It's going to be a war. There's this, you know, this guy wants to take power and this guy wants to take power. And they got their armies and they had a few, you know, they were going to fight here and they didn't, they were going to fight there and they didn't. And eventually they sort of all came, they came together and these two armies had this massive battle and someone won. There was a victory. It was, in that case, it was Octavian. And then there... The guys, and they, he, was then called, he became called Augustus Caesar. That was his sort of royal title. And then they, they sent out their messengers around the Roman Empire to say, the battle is over, there is a winner, we now know who's in charge. And, you know, to add a little bit of extra emphasis to it, they called him the Son of God. And, and they, they said that, you know, the, the good news, this is the good news of the victory of the Son of God. So, when Mark begins his gospel, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. (laughs) He was making a very clear political statement about who's actually in charge. Okay? As opposed to the other one. The other one's just a caricature. You know, whenever you fight domination with domination, the only thing that ever wins is domination. (laughs) When you fight it with love, then something else happens. And that's this kingdom is a completely different nature. All right. So where I was, I started this thing out, there's this little kid who grabs onto my hand and says, Hey, you can't go out there. That's no man's land. That's a place that you can't go. I then learned that there were there was a church just over the way, and that church had been burnt to the ground in the war between those two sides. There were two three old ladies who used to go to that church, and they couldn't go to the church anymore because it wasn't there. And they used to meet and pray, and pray for God's kingdom to be made real, to use that building and restore it as a place of hope, and for God's kingdom to bring reconciliation between those two sides. And they kept praying, and they kept praying, and they kept praying. And they were praying to the king of kings. And you know what? That church eventually managed to get a grant to put the roof back on it. And gradually things started to get more peaceful between the two sides. And we started running a youth meeting in that building. And I didn't even know about these ladies and their prayers until after that. And then someone said, oh, do you know about Light of Life Church? I said, yeah, we run a youth program there. He says, oh, I have, could, I have to go and tell. Oh, and I don't even know their names. I've just been told about them the secondhand. I've got to go and tell these ladies because they've been praying for so many years this church to be restored and we actually we one day we ran a an advent pageant a christmas pageant where we got a bunch of kids on one side and a bunch of kids on the other side to dress up in costumes so angels shepherds the wise men mary and joseph and all that lot and march through the streets and um joseph keeps stopping at a shop and knocking on the door and saying hey is there any room for my wife to have a baby because she's you know she's expecting and it's nearly nearly due Like No, there's no room at the inn, so then the whole procession marches on and and you keep going round through the streets. And we managed to get, that one year, we had 400 children, 200 from one side, 200 from the other, and they marched together and then they got together and had a Christmas, a festival on that piece of open land. And then we finished it with a um, sort of like a reenactment of the Christmas story and everything together. Since then, it, was, it wasn't like that bought the peace. I think it was a symbolic step to represent the reconciliation that had been happening through many, many, many sort of different things. But since then, you've been able to walk peacefully from one side to the other. People cross, kids, seven-year-old boys, run across that plot of land and play on it with no fear again because the King of Kings is Lord over all the earth, right? And when you hang on in his name, then amazing things happen. And that's what those ladies did. And that's what, as I said, our finances, they were pretty rotten. Um, this little motley crew in Gillingham decided they were going to support us right around that time when we were down to our last 15%, <laughs> you know, as we prayed. And as we said, no, there was one night when Liz and I really prayed, you know, maybe God is telling us it's time to leave Jamaica. Like, is that what's actually happening here? Because we can't see any way. And we prayed and, and just knew, no, that's not right. Actually, he's telling us to hang on. So we'll hang on. And we'll find, we'll trust God. We'll find a way, and and we did. And even the story I mentioned about the, this this gun this guy on the street, he actually knew one of the local pastors, and I managed to get to meet with those guys. And uh, so I met with the whole gang and managed <laughs> to share with them about the gospel. Um, sadly, he was not repentant, and he was dead within two months because he he picked a fight with the wrong person. But you know, God is God over all the earth, right? The, the victory has been won. But it's a different kind of victory to the ones we're used to. So let's look at a few passages. Oh, actually, no, I'm going to look at a diagram first and then a few passages. This, if you like, is, I, I like diagrams because they help me sort of p- visualise things. This is a timeline. There's not two gods. It's just, you know, God is before, God is after, God is everywhere, okay? He's a God who of, of justice, mercy, compassion. That's There's a Moses prayed, show me your glory. And God responded by talking about some, some things about him that would never change. He would never not be just. He would never not be merciful, and he would never not be full of compassion. Um, and there's, those things are developed many other places. I won't go into all the depth of the verses we get that from. And so God made this world, in you know, to be a place where His glory would dwell. And in that world, He put people as His image bearers, as I said, to, to represent Him in the world. And no sooner had they got there. Then they swallow the lie, and then you start, there's the dark shadow gets put over the age that we live in, the, and so they have this age, and now if you can see very faintly in the middle there, there's still a, a tiny slither, you know, of, of God's glory. God's glory is not absent altogether from the world. You know, he 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 found this guy called Abraham, and he said, hey, I'm going to bless you, and through the world, I'm, you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to call you to be a people, and so Abraham obeyed and was called and went, And then, you know, they had a struggle with this whole idea of being a people and decided they wanted to be a nation like all the other nations and have an army and have a king and have all the other things that make nations nations. And God was like, no, I called Abraham not because he was big and strong and powerful, but because he was small and insignificant, and that's what I use, but because he knew who I was and trusted me. But yet they didn't like that. They wanted the thing that all the rest of them. So the age, you know, the dominant age continued, But the prophecies were there saying, hey, you know, one day there's going to be an age to come and there'll be this Messiah and he will come and he will bring knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this, you know, you look in Ezekiel, the passage of this river of life that will flow out from God's presence when God will be fully present again in his world. Now, that was all the expectation of the Jewish people from their scriptures, what they did not expect and what Jesus very clearly proclaimed in his message was something slightly different but the same. And that's this. That the Messiah would come in the middle of this current age and bring the life of the age to come here now so that we can experience it and live in it and then it will carry on forever. And, and that is the good news you know, we don't just hope, We don't, the, the guy who said it as well with my soul, it's not just because, you know, I'm going to feel okay one day. It's because God is king over the, all the earth. And in the end, he will see this creation project through to its right end. <laughs> He'll bring about the full reconciliation, restoration. And somehow we're sup- we, we live in that now through prayer, through faith, through trust. All right. So that's, that, that's it, if you like, a little... Timeline and now the, the last bit there obviously should go forever and ever and ever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a timeline in that it's a short section, it, it's, it's the forever and ever and ever bit. Let's have a quick look at the nature of this kingdom. Matthew 11 John asks a, pas- uh, a question as you would if you were in his shoes. So, this is John the Baptist. Read a little bit. So, in verse um, 3, so at the moment John is in prison. Um, having been imprisoned by Herod for talking about righteousness and not kowtowing to the messiness of the political current leaders. (laughs) So there he is in prison. And when he heard in prison about the works of the Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, "Uh, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, if you were in prison (laughs) and the coming king was there, and you thought, he, you know, this is the guy who's supposed to bring restoration and hope and healing and life and righteousness, and you're imprisoned by a very unjust ruler, you'd probably be asking the same question. So hang on a second, is this it, or, or, or we, is there something else that's going to happen? So Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. He said, hey, look, it's happening. The kingdom is here and it's happening. So hang on. Now, John actually never left that prison cell alive. And so the age, this age is still here, (laughs) but the life of the age to come is here as well at the same time. And it's set up to keep going in Matthew 5 Jesus talks about what this kingdom looks like again I won't read the whole of it it's very well known as the Beatitudes but you know blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they'll be filled blessed are the merciful for they'll be they will obtain mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All the ways of being that are completely contrary to the ways of this age. And he's saying, no, blessed are those people who live this way, who live with their hope in the right place, because this kingdom is here and will be forever. And I'll look after you now, and I'll secure I have your your eternity secure in me. Now, have it, even though that is you know that is the nature of the kingdom, people close to it have not always got it. <laughs> in Mark ten, we have this wonderful story where it's uh, James and John. Now we know that Peter was very close to Jesus, and you know he had a brother Andrew. So there's some sort of a power play going on here among the disciples. <laughs> Before it's officially Peter, let's quickly get in there and see if we can get an official thing. One, one of the Gospels records it as they got their mother to do it for them. Um, or maybe it was her idea, I don't know. But, um, but here we are from sort of th- verse 35. They came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. He said, What do you want me to do for you? He said, um, Grant that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. You know, it's going to be so glorious, you're going to need a right-hand and a left-hand man, we figure. So we're willing, you know, we're here. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And it's probably one of those moments they were like, "Uh, uh, we're able? You know, like, uh, I'm not quite sure what he's getting at here. But we, we reckon, yeah, sure. You know, we'll, be, we'll, we'll walk with you, Lord. No worries. And then, and then Jesus <laughs> says, I'm, I'm sure he's having a little chuckle to himself. He says, yeah, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and the baptism I baptize with. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to, be, to give, but it's for those to whom it's been prepared. Uh, they've been tried for theft and they're waiting in jail for me right now. And they'll be on my right and my left when my glory is revealed. That's already been appointed. But yeah, you can st- still drink the cup, no worries. They, they don't get it, do they? Their expectation is, is something else. In Luke, there's a passage here. I'll just draw a little bit there. It, it's this, this theme right throughout the Gospels is the difference between God's kingdom and the other kingdoms. So Luke 9, um, in, in verse 18. It happened as he was alone praying, his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, so who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of God. You really are the one. You're here. God's kingdom is here in you. And he strictly warned them, commanded them to tell this to no one, and then saying, the Son of Man must suffer. Many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised again on the third day now that this is the way the kingdom's going to come it's not going to come like the other kingdoms it's going to come through sacrifice. There's two other passages I, I, I don't have time to go deep into to both of them, but the last one is the one where he's we're there with Pilate and you get this picture of Pilate's hands are tied. Like he actually, he knows Jesus is an innocent man and he wants to let him go, but he can't because he's working for Rome. And Caesar and disturbances to the peace don't go very well together. And if it's you're responsible for that section of Caesar's empire, you need to make sure that there's no disturbances. And so he gives up who he knows is a righteous man because he can't. And there's this, this amazing sort of line Pilate says in the middle of that. Jesus talks about truth, and Pilate says, what is truth? Because in his position, he, he can't relate to it. And here is Jesus choosing to be there. And here is Pilate, powerless to choose not to do what he doesn't want to do. And it's again, this is the contrast between the two kinds of kingdom. Now what I want to do for a few more minutes... Is look at okay, what does that actually look like if the present kingdom is present and it's here and now? So, Jesus' kingdom is here, it's underway, and it will last forever. After sort of the the time when finances dried up, there were a bunch of other things where it was just really, really hard doing the work we were doing for not just one or two years, probably more like five or six. You know, when you're just going through some really, really challenging sort of season. Um, and look, it's always challenging working with the kids because they have their own issues. But when you, the, the work itself is challenging. There's sort of financial problems. And the inner, the, you know, the inner machinations of church politics are always an ugly affair. <laughs> right. and, and they draw a lot, of work, a lot of energy away from the mission. Um, there's a time when I was like, God, I don't know if I can still be part of this fusion thing. Like, seriously. Uh, and, and I went away to pray. And I was up on this mountaintop in Jamaica praying and I felt God just saying, just focus on my new life. Focus on my new life. My new life is here. Focus on my new life. And I was like, yeah, but I'm here to make a decision about if I should quit. So you need to say yes or no. And he didn't say anything about that. He's like, no, you need to focus on new life. And eventually I got to the point where I was, okay, I'll, I'll agree with you and I'll pray what you want me to say. And, and when I was then walked around the corner, I came across um, a tree. And there was this great tree that obviously had had a great life and then fallen flat by the looks of things in a storm, because its roots are sticking up out of the ground at the end there. And growing out of it, somehow I don't know, is this new life. And I felt like God saying, you know what, don't try and go back. Don't try and pick up a a season that was great. Like, that's a lot of effort for no fruit. Focus on the new life. Keep your energy focused on, on the life of the age to come. And I'll just focus in there. You can see it's actually just growing straight. Uh, un- if you look underneath the tree, there's actually air. You, know, you can't see it from that side. But there, there is the roots of that new thing are in the old. It's not a whole new thing. It's coming out of it. And I, for me, that was just such a picture of what God was doing at that time and is doing. And, and it's wonderful now seeing the early signs of a new chapter, a new season um, in our work. Now, Jesus' kingdom, because it's here, it's present, it cares for, it, it brings healing and hope to the most vulnerable. I once had this guy called John Perkins. He's a, an American g- preacher, and, and he and actually uh, another guy who works in the slums in Cambodia have a very similar insight. He's saying the Christian church often thinks that prophecy is where people come and say nice things about you that they wouldn't otherwise know, <laughs> right? You know, good news for God's people about all these wonderful things that are going to happen. He says when you read the Old Testament, the primary agenda of the prophets was how is the nation doing in relation to God and his righteousness? And the key indicator of how you're doing is how are the most vulnerable doing? Mm-hmm. The poor, the strange wi- the stranger, the widow, the orphan, you know, the orphan, the stranger, the widow, stranger and that. Whatever, and those three. Like the, the 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 most vulnerable, the people whose families are not serving them, how how are they being cared for? And what's wonderful about living in the kingdom is seeing that happen. This here is uh, some of our team. We just did some training back in July in play therapy. Um, And so this is a group of people. So in the middle, you had this lady called Jean Williams who visited Jamaica for two weeks. Uh, She's a psychologist from Canada, and she did some training in play therapy. How to help kids who've had significant trauma to have some space, sort of empathetic space to process it. And... Empathy for children who've experienced trauma takes a lot of time, okay? It's one of those, th- those jobs that, you know, w- we're all sort of busy doing the things we think need to be done. It, it's amazing the investment that it takes, but what was, ama- what was just stunning as we did this was the impact that it had on these kids. Um, there's one little girl called Nish Nish. She's been coming to our clubs for a few years. Um, she's about seven, I think, and when she comes along, you call her name three four five times and she's just like you know and, you're like, and then you explain the rules to the game and she's just not hearing them and she's just just often um what what Jean described dissociation this thing of just not being at home in your mind because I don't know exactly what's happened but some stuff's happened that she just had to push somewhere else she's had to go somewhere else because of whatever it is and it's a v- it's a very challenging community you know the kids get rough justice <laughs> um, not much justice, more roughness actually we had, we had Nish Nish for five days just having these special play times and there was a one time where she had this kind of, it, and they it, it, one of the things is don't don't rob the child of their struggle let them wrestle through it, be with them in their struggle but don't take away their battle and so there's one thing, she was, she had this crocodile and she was sort of covering it in Pritt stick just all over and just sticking it all over and you know Kids can do whatever they want in this playtime. And I'm sitting thinking, I'm going to do a lot of cleaning up afterwards. But, you know, fair enough. All right. That's what she needs to do. Fair. You know, you go for it, Nishnish. She's sitting there. And then she gets tele- sellotape. And she's sticking it round and round and round and round with sellotape. And then she starts trying to break the tape. And it's not working. So she puts her foot on the crocodile and pulls the tape up like this. Gets in her teeth. And then gets the other foot on the other end of the tape. And she's going like this. And, and I, okay, I'm being told I can't take it. It's so easy to say, hey, Nishnish, shall I break that for you? And so I'm like, oh, you're really determined to break that tape, aren't you? I can see, yeah, you're really going to yeah, you, you're, you're get it. And then she eventually brought, oh, you got there. What? You, you did it. And then she wrapped the end piece all around this crocodile. And I was like, wow, yeah, you're really making sure he's stuck up and tied up and all the rest of it. I have no idea what's going on in this kid's head. right? I'm just there, you know, sp- kind of doing what I've been taught to do in terms of this process of just giving her the space she needs. Uh, I spoke to Jean later and she said it was probably her taking control of something scary in her life. Okay. Crocodile, scary, maybe. I don't know. When she went home after the five days, she got off the bus and she ran and she hugged her brother with this biggest hug and she was just smiling and just full of life and however it happened, she had the space to process stuff and just find freedom. And and it takes time to walk with the vulnerable, you know, but it's amazing. I, I, I was so stunned by the, by just this impact of just that time walking alongside, not taking away the struggle, but being there and just having an empathetic presence. How it, and so this is something Liz and I are really excited about now, seeing more of this approach to our work as we do it. This one is uh, giving out. We uh, Back to school, we, we try and give people, the families money to help. You know, it's all the expenses of getting a you know, new school year and all the rest of it, uniforms, books, all the rest of it. Um, there's not a lot of, like, it's not all free <laughs> in, in Jamaica. You've got to buy the books. It, yeah, so families are really struggling. A lot of them spent their very last. And this was our team just walking through and just uh, able to give out. In fact, you guys helped a bit with that, um, and a few other donors did. And... Just this thing of being alongside people in their struggles, in the reality. I know you guys are involved in CAP as well as the church, but like how you manage your money is something that sometimes you need someone to sit and work. You know, it's it's challenging sometimes, isn't it? Having enough and just having that presence alongside you. That's a real part of being the kingdom, bringing that healing and hope to the most vulnerable. One other thing about the kingdom is it's a place where everyone has their place. It's not just the superstars, but everybody makes a contribution, And, a, and, and a, you know what does I say? Um, a gift to offer. This is one of our young guys called Shabu. His real name's George, but you know, he, he likes being Shabu instead. Shabu, when he was going to do his um, year 10 certificates they're called CXE, They're kind of like GCSE equivalent. When he was going to do them, he said to his mum, "Hey, mum, you know I need to do these exams at school and there's an exam fee." And she was like, do what? He said, the, the exams, like my CXEs. What's a CXE? He's like, it's an exam, mom. It's like, it's, it's a qualification. She says, well, I'm not going to waste money for you to sit an exam because you just, you wouldn't, f- you wouldn't pass it anyway. In fact, sh- she was a bit more blunt than that, but I won't repeat it here. <laughs> but um, so, okay, he just, he's not going to sit his exams. And then he started coming along to the Fusion office and helping out And then so he spent two years volunteering with us. And then we managed to get into remedial school, got through remedial school, got his qualifications. And one day at kids club, we were there and we finished the club and we we played a game halfway through and kids had all put their shoes in a pile. And at the end, one of the kids couldn't find their shoes. And so most likely one of the kids from the street sort of had come into the area at the time and just stolen their shoes and nicked off with them. So we're having our little team review at the end of the meeting and we can't see Shabu. It's like, where is he? And we didn't know. And so anyway, we had our review, talked about how it went, what needed to change, what worked well, all the rest of it. And at the end of it, Shabu suddenly turns up and we said, "Oh, where were you? And he says, oh, I walked her home and bought her shoes on the way. And we're like, I was like, oh, well done. And he said, yeah. He said, I didn't want her to get the beating. And I do not think that if I go home without my shoes, I'm gonna get a beating. Because that's not what I got. But Shabu knows full well that's what you're gonna get. If that's what y- if you go home without your shoes. And your mum spent her last, you know, on buying them. And that level of understanding I don't bring to the team. And that's why it's so valuable when you have a bunch of people who all have a contribution, something to offer, where y- you'll s- you'll see the way the world in ways that that we don't and that's God's kingdom it's when we're we're there together this one was just um last week there's a chap called Sean um he's a plumber um from Reading and he came over to Greece to to work with Fusion did a foundations course there and this was his first ever foundations unit that he taught and he asked me to take a photo of him with the board at the end of it because he'd never taught anything in his life and um but as he told this story when he was a little kid and his mate was a Down syndrome kid, and how the bullies started picking on him and how he intervened in that story. And and it, it's this this units about sort of the circular cycles that we get through where when people get stuck in a trap and how you can intervene in that. And his story was just beautiful of this this little kid just seeing and loving a kid despite his disability. And when he was getting picked on, how he c- could intervene in that and help the school intervene and the bullies and all this lot and 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 just bought that kid kind of to the center of the school, and he ended up becoming everybody's friend. But he was initially Sean's friend. And when Sean taught, he just bought something again that was such richness that no one else would have brought. And that's the kingdom. It's a kingdom where everyone brings their little piece that's different. We finished that course with a festival in the middle of a place called Katerini. um, This is in Greece. So here you've got a Russian, a Ukrainian, an Albanian, a Greek, Syrian kids I think these ones are Syrian as well I can't remember all this lot. The, the church there they hired housing for 110 families from Syria we did this festival alongside the church in the middle of the town center and we had a bunch of different people Greeks and Albanians don't like each other to start with by the way <laughs> and we had a really vari- varied team from all these different places and and those Albanian kids just welcomed these little Syrian children one of these boys had scars all over his face I don't know the full story welcomed him into the thing, and just this life and energy where everyone was, was helping out. It is a, a sort of major community festival. And at the end of it, it was just this beautiful moment, this is near the end, where everybody was welcome. Everyone had a place. Everyone bought something. And it was, it was just a taste of the kingdom on earth. It was really, really special. And that's what, what the kingdom is. It's something where everyone has a gift and everyone has something to offer. And when the kingdom is present like that, it makes a life-giving impact on society. You know, the, when the kingdom is present, it brings life and hope. What you see the picture there is a banner, and that was being painted at Easter. So Zoe's there with a bunch of other Jamaican kids, and they're all painting this banner. Um, we did an Easter festival, and then on the Saturday and on Sunday, we then put, took this banner and lifted up and marched through the streets of Trenchtown with this color and life that the children had painted up. And it was just it was a beautiful image of the hope of Easter right there in the streets and we'd we'd also took prayer requests that day from the children and wrote down their prayer requests, and then we prayed them we stopped at seven places around the community and prayed the prayer requests of the children it was just amazing hearing the community hear what is on the heart of the children to be prayed for and you know one of these kids said um, stop killing the children that was her prayer and when we prayed that prayer, there was these people in the bi- high-rise buildings nearby shouting loudly so that everyone could hear, Amen! You know, and they sort of, and, and just this thing of, if I walked into a trench town and picked up a microphone and said, Hey, stop killing the children, you know, it wouldn't go down so well. But when you give voice to the children and everyone gets to hear their voice, it has a, a life-giving impact. And it really, w- it was, yeah it was a, a beautiful time. It's really, really powerful. Signs of new life, as I said, the sort of that God kept, said to hang on for. This one was just another one in August Town. There was violence in this community um, in July. And we were asked by the church to come and help run a community festival. And um, the police weren't sure they wanted to give us permission. And then after the event, they said, thanks, because you've restored the peace. Th- and we couldn't do that. Because their tools are those of violence and domination, and it can't deliver what the kingdom can. And so we as the church need to be visibly present in our world, you know, bringing life and hope. That's why you need to keep praying for this building <laughs> so that you can be present at the, the middle of, 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 of the world that you're a part of. Lastly, none of us can live out the kingdom alone. The kingdom is something that we, it, we're called to together, What's what's been really significant, like w- w- in Jamaica, we work <laughs> alongside some Americans. They see the world very differently to us, and they and the and the Jamaicans we work with and us make a, a motley, mixed bag variety of people and the different types of people we have on our team. But when we're together living out the kingdoms, God is present with His people, you know, and it's this amazing thing that that you work you. When you're, when you're giving yourself to the kingdom, it's bigger than any one person, any one individual. And so, yeah, we can't live it out alone. Um, this is just one last picture. There's a guy called Daniel who we met when we were in Greece. He's from Serbia, and uh, he's a gypsy guy. One of his eyes is a glass eye. I don't know all the story behind that, but um, had a really, really lots of pain and rejection. Um, tried to kill himself when he was 14, and then he went to a Christian camp and experienced acceptance for the first time in his life. And he now works, been working for the last 14 years with gypsy kids who no one else has any time for. And, uh, and he's just hanging on. And he has a little support, not much. But when he came to foundations and was there with a bunch of other people, you could just see that he, he, was, he was in tears as he left. Like it was so life giving to him to be around other people. Now, you do have to do a lot. We are individuals, and we need individually to take responsibility for our part in the kingdom. And that can feel lonely, but we never do it completely alone. We've got to be in, somehow in fellowship with other and praying for each other. So, um, yeah, I would add him to your prayer list if you, uh, you're praying for him. He's an amazing trooper for the kingdom. John 20, this is one of my favorite passages. We use this to bring it all together. So on the evening of the first day of the week... When the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, why were, they, why were the doors locked? They were afraid, right? Because what had just happened? Jesus just got crucified, okay? When Jesus was a boy, another guy said he was, he was the Messiah, and he led a violent revolution, and they crucified him and 2,000 of his followers along the main roads in and out of Jerusalem. So when, you know, just as an aside, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, that meant something to his followers. <laughs> like they, they, they knew what it was to take up your cross. <laughs> so there they were as his f- closest friends. They were like, oh, this is dangerous. Yeah. Jesus suddenly, if, if, if a, some guy that you knew was dead suddenly walked into the room, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> yeah, faint. Freak out, right? So Jesus' first words are hey, peace be with you. All right, calm down, chill out. It's all right. It's me. Okay, and after he says that, he shows them his hands and his side. Why? Proof. Proof. It's me. It really is me. It's me who actually was physically dead and physically alive. You know, starts telling them scar stories. Okay. And they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Oh wow, it really is you. They're so overjoyed. And again, he says, peace be with you. He so like, okay, all right, you're freaked out. I had to calm you down. Now you're over the top. Calm down again. All right? And then he says something really important. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What happened when the Father sent Jesus? He died, he died didn't he? As the Father sent me, all right, now it's your turn but he doesn't just leave it at that and with that <sighs> why is he breathing on him yeah it's very symbolic we sung it earlier didn't we breathe on me why is he why is he breathing on him when did god last breathe on humankind in the garden what was lost is now being restored where we handed over power to forces of darkness that corrupt and bring destruction now that power has been taken back <laughs> and life is breathed it's like yeah we're back on track again this creation project is back on track and my life is here to be breathed into you now and it's really significant that this is the life of God that has lived been killed and conquered death raised again and it's now breathed into his followers and it's in him now. So he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then there's this bizarre bit at the end. It says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. That sounds a bit harsh. What's that got to do with all the rest of it? Well, this is the... Me- forgiveness, it's not just not getting punished for what I did wrong because Jesus got punished instead. It's the restoration of everything that was lost. We're back on track. We can now live... Through his breath in us, we can now live for him and expressing his image into the world. We can now expect that. We can do that. That's the hope we live in. And that, that is forgiveness. That is full restoration to the way God, you know, we were called to do that and we fell short. And forgiveness says, okay, now the life of the past doesn't have to determine the future. There's now a new hope, a new way. But not everyone wants to accept that because this gospel means that God is now in charge. And sometimes people say, no, they don't want to accept it. And this is the, the challenging thing about the gospel is we actually have to confront the things that are not kingdom in our world. The, power, the, 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 the dark power behind them has actually lost its steam, but it does take some confrontation. Those old ladies in that church had to say, God, it is not okay on this world that our kids live in fear. It is not okay that gunmen are out there terrorizing the streets. And we will pray and we will pray and we will pray until that changes. And uh, there was a a case actually once where this guy, one of the gunmen, um, he threatened, he, he was, he, started getting a little bit out of order, and he came and he threatened one of the pastors in Trenchtown, um, like with a gun, said, I will, I will kill you if you don't give me some money, you know. But the pastor didn't, and he, shortly after that, this same guy killed a police officer. And he was then picked up by the police, taken off, and he wasn't treated very well, and he, he didn't last long. And and we were praying for the peace of the community, and I honestly believe that he crossed a line where his influence in the community was not helping God's purposes, and he'd been offered repentance, and he didn't accept it. This is our gospel. I mean, I'm not you know, praying that the police come and kill people who are in the way of you know, your wonderful plans for the, for the community center. Um, but it is right to pray for people to accept this gospel, and it's right to confront where they don't. That's, that is our good news. Right? So this is the gospel that we're called to serve. This is what we're serving in Jamaica and what you're serving here. It's a kingdom that's here, it's underway, and it will last forever. It cares for It brings healing and hope to the most vulnerable. It's a kingdom where everyone has a place of belonging and a gift to offer. It's a kingdom that makes a life-giving impact on society around us, and it's a kingdom that none of us can live out on our own. That's really what I wanted to share with you. Do you want to, we pray to start with. Do you want to pray to finish as well? Yeah, why well do you pray? Okay. You pray yeah, Father, I just want to... Thank you for the time, the extra time, Jamaican time that we've had this morning. <laughs> Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that it is present right now. Um, and I just pray that you would continue to encourage um, this community here um, as they seek your kingdom. And also the, the others in this wider community who are also part of your kingdom. Um, I pray that you would help help us really see how to do, do the kingdom together, how to keep our hope, keep our eyes fixed on you, keep our hope in you. Yeah, in that expectation to pray and to see your kingdom um, being present um, in this world, in this age, um, until the time when you finally return and, um, yeah, bring it all to its right conclusion. Amen.